Well, good morning. We are excited to worship together on this warm Sunday in July. And here at Grace, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That is what we are about here. And as you know, uh, we have quite a few things actually going on this summer, and you can see those in the calendar cards that we put out. You can see them online. Most importantly, we're going to be at Irvine Park today for a picnic this afternoon after third service, so you can get more info about details on that online, but just wanted to, to make you aware of that. And then also, we uh, last week mentioned a few of our leaders and just thanked them, and uh, one of them was not able to be here, and we wanted to thank him in person, and that's Jack and his wife, Linda, Jack and Linda Hansen. Um, during COVID, they have been amazing. Everything you hear happens because of Jack. So uh, that, is, that is a huge blessing that they have been on us. And also we wanted to make note of, of a family that served in Awana now for, for quite a while. Marty and An Young have led our Awana ministry for a while. And so we just wanted to, to thank them, to recognize them, and, and also to mention, if you want to help serve, if you want to help serve with audiovisual things, if you want to help serve in Awana or a different ministry, uh, go on our website. There's a page, Serve at Grace, and you can let us know. We'll connect with you. We'll help you get plugged in. And we would love uh, to help you serve. So as we come to worship together this morning, we're going to read from Psalm 136. And Psalm 136 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Father, we're only here this morning because your steadfast love endures forever. From generation to generation, you are good. And so we ask that you would help us to worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength this morning. Amen. Stand with us as we sing together this morning. Yeah. 
majesty, Lord of all, let every throne before him fall, the King of kings, oh come adore, our God who reigns Thank you. 
standing and we'll be reading this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Let's pray together. Father, we're here because of your kindness and your goodness and your mercy and your grace. You are righteous, you are just, you are upright, you never waver, you never falter, you never fail. And so we worship you this morning and we ask that you would help us to worship you as you are. Lord, there's, there's no one like you. You are the God who created all things, who thought of all things, who sustains all things. You are the God who thought of every good thing in this universe and all of them point back to you. You are the fountain of every good delight. You're the God of Moses. You're the God who led your people in the Exodus, who revealed yourself in power at Sinai. You're the God who spoke through the prophets. You're the God who inspired David to write the Psalms. You're the God who gave Solomon his wisdom. You are the God who sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for your son, and you sent your son to live the life we never could, to die in our behalf, and to absorb the wrath that should have fallen on us. And Lord, you are the God who sent your spirit to build your church against which hell will never prevail, and you are the God who will one day right every injustice and make all things perfect in the end. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that you will create. And Father, we know that we are weak and needy and broken and that this week and even this morning our hearts have wandered away. We've sought our, our own way, our own things. We've taken good gifts that you've given us and we've turned them against you. And so please cleanse us. Thank you for the righteousness that there is for those who trust in Jesus. You've given us hope and life and so we worship you, Lord. Father, we pray during this difficult time in our country and in the world that you would make the gospel go forth to places it's never been, that you would make it clear, that you would let the church hold up a beautiful picture of who you are and the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. God, help us. We need your wisdom in how to interact in this world right now. Make your gospel go to people who have never heard it and let new worshipers of Jesus be made. Lord, we pray this all for your glory and your honor, and we beg that you would help us be changed this morning under the preaching of your word so we would become the kind of people that, that represent you well in the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his honor and his glory and his kingdom. Amen. You may be seated as we continue worshiping. Our hearts are bent, our eyes 
words are dim, our finest works are stained with sin, and emptiness has shattered all our ways. Jesus Christ, trying to transformed, people who are who reflect the glory of Christ uh, to this world, to one another. Uh, God, for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the worst injustice ever, the worst injustice you can think of. In the past, a lot of people would say it was the transatlantic slave trade from Africa for about 350 years. In the present, people might say human trafficking, kidnap, torture, exploitation, abuse of victims. Others would say it's systemic racism, 
brutality, violence. Others might say, no, it's people falsely convicted and imprisoned. Others would say it's abortion, the legalized murder of babies by their own mothers. But it's not always liberty and justice for all, is it? That's not the way the world is. That's a pledge, not a reality. And so what do you do? You end up bracing yourself as you open up the news, as you open up your inbox and your mailbox. You open up your phone. You're like, what's coming next? A biblical worldview acknowledges both the joy and the sorrow of life. And chief among the pain is injustice. Life is unfair. All my kids have grown up hearing that. Oh, someone picked on you? Life isn't fair. Oh, someone called you a name? Life isn't fair. I'm not going to rescue up you out of every situation you come into. The people that don't learn the lesson that life isn't fair go through life whining. Right? We know people of all ages that whine through life because they didn't learn the lesson life isn't fair. I mean, it doesn't take long to figure that out. Someone takes your toys, someone calls you names. Someone picks on you. Someone judges you. Someone is unkind. Someone doesn't treat you well. The world is filled with grievous injustice. Now, there is no justice when a lion goes after a wildebeest on the African plain. There is no justice when wolves take down a wandering calf in a herd of bison. There's no justice when my dog stalks rabbits in the yard. I'm rooting for Leela all the time. She got two this last week. It was awesome. There's no justice when a rattlesnake devours a mouse. It's just the way things are, right? This is the way life is. But when a human being goes after another human being in an unfair manner, we go berserk. All hell breaks loose. We, we were made in God's image, and humans deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And when it doesn't happen, things aren't right. That matches the Bible. The Bible angles toward Jesus Christ, the righteous one, dying for unrighteous sinners, the just for the unjust that he would bring us to God. We are living in a world undone, a world turned in on itself, Injustice abounds, and it, doesn't it make your blood boil? Unless, of course, we are the perpetrators. And then, you know, it's easy to turn a blind eye or be unaware. I think it's timely that I'm preaching today justice for all. Ecclesiastes 3, 16 and 17. We're going to be thinking about justice a lot in the coming weeks. Next week, uh, verses 18 through 22. Injustice, death, and joy. The week after, Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3. Justice, oppression, and comfort. Ecclesiastes 3 started with a poem. It told us there's a time for everything. A God-honoring time for everything. God chooses the time of everything. God sovereignly gives everything. God providentially controls everything. 
Last week we saw in verses 9 through 15 that God has a purpose for everything. To grow you in obedience and worship. He gives you earthly work. He gives you heavenly longing. He enables your worship and obedience and trust. Ecclesiastes 3.15, it told us that God seeks what has been passed by. God will bring the past to account. We noticed last week that there's this word-driven, spirit-given discipline of believers on an ongoing basis, but there's also future judgment. And this is what the preacher is going for now in verses 16 and 17. He's now looking at it from two perspectives. Two perspectives that couldn't be further apart, polar opposites. And the first is, man is unjust, verse 16. And the second is, God is just, verse 17. You can't get further away than that. That's the huge contrast. The gap between man and God could not be bigger. Man is unjust, God is just. You see evidence like everywhere you look that man is unjust. Faithlessly so. Verse 16. Solomon says, I saw under the sun in the realm of mankind that in the place of justice there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness there was wickedness. Justice and righteousness are parallel terms there. And he's saying strongly, Where there was supposed to be justice, there was evil. Where there was supposed to be righteousness, there was evil. Mankind has broken faith with God in the place of justice, where there should be justice. Alexander Hamilton said, the first duty of society is justice. What is justice? Talk about justice right now, it's kind of like watching the Princess Bride, right? And Vizini, the evil Vizini, it keeps calling things inconceivable, right? And Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And we're using the word justice. Very oddly in this moment. There is a difference between Political justice and social justice and biblical justice. Political justice. You you know that we have a United States Department of Justice, right? The DOJ. It exists. Stated to enforce the law. To provide federal leadership in preventing and controlling crime. To seek just punishment for those guilty of unlawful behavior. And ensure fair and impartial administration of justice for all Americans. How's that going for us right now? And then you get to social justice. Everyone wants to talk about social justice right now. Social justice focuses on the temporal. It addresses perceived and real societal injustices. The social justice is not fair or impartial. What it tries to do is even the scales for people of certain victim status who have been deprived of power or position or privilege. But the goal of social justice is justice for all. A good goal, but the result is 
more inequality, more injustice. Think about your own heart. You want justice for certain people, and you ignore others that don't fit the narrative. Whatever narrative you're going with. A retired judge shared that the guilty that came to him in the courtroom always wanted mercy, right? But the victims always wanted revenge. Social justice, by definition, is time-bound. It is a temporal, economic, social construct that many want to inject into the gospel. And when you inject that into the gospel, it is an alien idea there. Biblical justice, and by the way, you all need a biblical theology of justice. You all have, by the way, a theology of justice, something that you believe that God thinks about justice. You need a biblical theology of justice. Justice is God doing everything right. God being perfectly just. He is right and fair to all. He is righteous in all his ways. He is kind in all his deeds. He is right and fair to all. This biblical justice is God doing what is right. It starts with the eternal. Biblical justice starts with the eternal. Where you see God making people in his image, and then you see people as God made them, as image bearers, created in God's image. Justice, biblical justice, is a reflection of the character of God as much as his love and mercy are. Without God's justice, sin would go unchecked. Without God's justice, evil would win. God is perfectly good in his treatment of his creatures. We are not, but he is. And you notice that justice and righteousness always go together, hand in hand. They're the foundation of God's throne. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O God. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God is perfect in love, perfect in kindness, perfect in goodness, perfect in justice. God shows no partiality. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid. There's no favoritism. All who die under God's judgment will die for their own sin. God perfectly judges oppressors. God sees and acts justly. His justice is fair. It is the fair, impartial treatment of all people, including the consequences, and, and they're given in his perfect time by his sovereign choice. That's biblical justice. We make promises, we break promises. We say liberty and justice for all as an intent, and what we give out is exactly what Ecclesiastes 3.16 says wickedness instead of justice and righteousness. Mankind is called to reflect God's nature by being just and fair, and we are not. That's the problem. We are unrighteous. We are wicked. In the courts of law, in that time and today, true judgment should have prevailed, but there was wickedness. Justice cannot exist without righteousness. We should be made in the image of God, Understanding things in a biblical framework, we should be fair judges of character and abilities and actions. Our assessment, though, is tainted by sin. It's rooted in our fallen nature. We are depraved. 
were turned inward rather than upward. It started with Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, resulted in condemnation to all people. It kept going. It snowballed. Cain killed Abel. More condemnation. Mankind has uh, perpetrated multitudes of injustice. Now you notice that Solomon repeats this. When you see something in a verse repeated, it's, it emphasizes how bad or how good the, the situation is. Here, it emphasizes how bad the problem is. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, parallel term with justice, even there was wickedness. It's overwhelming how bad the problem is. You cannot overstate this. This is like being at the beach, being in the ocean, and wave after wave just pummeling you. This is like a boxing match, a flurry of punches and jabs. The hits keep coming. This is relentless. You've got dictators, you've got legal abortion, you've got racism in all of its forms, you've got personal injury, you've got mankind hardwired for injustice. Mankind's a powder keg of injustice. People perpetrate merciless acts. Falsely accuse others. They kill others for their skin color or their views. See, the human race doesn't do righteousness and justice. Mankind has profaned and perverted righteousness and justice. You notice how Solomon says, even there was wickedness. The exact opposite of what was supposed to be. Wickedness is what is wrong, what is immoral, what is, literally, it's, it's translated guilt wickedness. Violence, crime, wicked enemies, and wicked ethics. Justice is not always found on earth. Sinful man doing injustice against fellow man. Slavery, brutality, racism, false convictions, abortion, a gross injustice in, in the halls of justice, in, in, in business, in school, in the home, online, in your heart. When you think about the halls of justice, they became quarters of corruption in many places. In our courts, in America, marriage should be protected. The unborn should be defended. The opposite has happened. And what happens? People become judge and jury. They don't allow due process to follow its course. And sinful man will always, always find a way to justify his actions. Isaiah 5.20 says, Those who call evil good and good evil, woe to them. Romans 1.23, Not only do they do those things, but they give approval to others to practice those things. conflict going on. And God takes sides in this conflict. God takes sides in this conflict. He stands against injustice. Amos preached against oppressing the poor and needy. Ezekiel warned against mistreating foreigners. Zechariah advocated for the protection of widows and orphans and travelers and the poor. And all these bad things happen to these groups that God 
is standing up for, and, and we see it, and don't we long for justice? Don't we long for righteousness? And the reason why you long for it is because you're made in the image of God. You're made in God's image to reflect His glory. The injustice you see causes you pain because you're made in the image of God. You grieve injustice because you know the world isn't right. It's turned in on itself. Cry out for justice. That cry for justice first needs to be introspective. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn. He's not saying blessed are those who mourn over everyone else's sins, but blessed over those who mourn over their own sinfulness and need of God's mercy. In Matthew 5, 7, he says, blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Our sense of justice. is just warped. I mean, why do all man-centered attempts at justice usually fall short? Because our, our attempts, our efforts are often unjust. We will perpetrate more injustice. I mean, we'll think about this. Demanding unjust justice is injustice. We want to decriminalize murder. That's abortion. We want to defund the police. That's anarchy. We want to destroy statues. That's anger. Or you want to just deny the problem exists. You want to broad brush it, uh, put sugar coated on it, put rose colored glasses on it. That is not going to work. Mankind is unjust. Mankind created in God's image at present is, is so unlike God. We have become hideous, we have become grotesque. We have become unfeeling and merciless monsters. We have become the worst versions of ourselves. The, the, the best human systems are fatally flawed because we are. We are rightly indicted. We, are, we have this ingrained depravity. We have this devastating record of injustice. It's interesting that many of us can just sit there and go, well, you know, I haven't done that. We don't know the depths of our own sinful hearts, do we? Mankind is faithlessly unjust. Our justice at, on its best day just faintly reflects God's true justice. We have eternity in our hearts. We're longing for heaven with unjust hearts. That's us. This is us. That's the bad news. You want some good news now? Are you ready for some good news? The exact polar opposite of mankind being unjust is that God is just. God is just, and he is faithfully so. Unchangeably so. Only God, perfectly just, perfectly judges. He, he's going to execute just judgment in his perfect time. Look at verse 17. Two verses couldn't be more polar opposites. Look at verse 17. I said in my heart. We know it. And by the way, Solomon didn't know this because he made it up in his head. Okay, he didn't figure this out by logic. He knew it because of the word of God. He was preaching his own sermon to himself, basically. God is going to judge the righteous and the wicked. How do you know that? You know that because God says it. 
God tells us in the word, even right here. We know it because the Bible is our North Star. It's our compass. It's, our, it's God's reality-shaping tool. And here's God giving Solomon a heart to fear him, to worship him. He's got God's word in his heart. He's able to state clearly, God will judge all. The judgment started with the fall. Genesis 2.17, the day that you disobey, you will die. Genesis 3 onward, the fall has infected us all. You think of Isaiah chapter 1, God is telling the people, you need to learn to do good. You need to seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. The, the faithful city has become grossly unfaithful. It was full of justice. Isaiah 1 says they do not bring justice to the fatherless. The widow's cause does not come to them. And so the Lord declares, I will get relief from my enemies and I will avenge myself on my foes. God is just. And it's going to happen in his time. You've got to, you've got to trust his perfect timing while acknowledging the brutal realities. We're walking by faith, not by sight, even if it feels like we're in a big fog right now. Or under this tent, it would be more like humidity. Doug Wilson put it this way. When men depart from the word of God and are entrusted with power, they come to believe that they are the law. No way can be found to bring men under a law and rule independent of them, but recognition of the hard master of biblical law, basically a law higher than man. This is God's check against tyranny. The knowledge of coming judgment. God alone is the righteous judge, and we too will face him. Every one of us. He's in charge. You think about it, when you're in charge, you get to choose, right? When you're in charge, you have unoverrided autonomy. In the sheriff family, there's, there's really only one day that you get unoverrided autonomy. Really, one moment in one day is when you get to choose your birthday dinner. All the other times, everyone overrides you. It's part of the family DNA. But here is God, sovereign over all, who was appointed a time to judge. We read in Ecclesiastes 11.9, God will bring you into judgment. We read in the last verse of Ecclesiastes 12.14, God is going to bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, good or evil. 2 Peter 3.7 tells us, by the word of God, the heavens and the earth are stored up for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is a perfect time scheduled, and it won't be postponed. You know, COVID-19 canceled everything, right? Birthdays and graduations and weddings and even funerals. People were still dying, but couldn't have the funeral. Well, there are no issues with God's plan. He's going to judge. Jonathan Edwards filled his 55-year life with God-exalting work. He lived 1703 to 1758. And once he preached a sermon entitled, The Justice of God and the Damnation of Sinners, he preached Romans 3.19, that God will stop or will close every mouth. That there will come a day that every mouth will be closed in the presence of God. Isaiah 61, God says, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. 
and I will faithfully give them the recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Isn't that interesting? Always, when there is judgment, there are hints of gospel truth. Strong hints of gospel truth here. I will faithfully give them their recompense. Judgment's coming and I will make an everlasting covenant. That's salvation. That's not ju social justice. In Matthew 12, 20, it says, quoting from Isaiah 42, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. Here's Jesus, the servant of God, will bring justice to the nations in judgment and bring justice to victory in the gospel. Jesus came to earth to save sinners. He brings victorious justice to all who trust in him and judgment on his enemies later on. Mankind is unjust. God is just. What can you do today? What can you do about that today? You know these truths. What will you do? What can a believer do? Micah 6.8 says, God has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? That fits really well with our passage today. Man is unjust. God is just. What does God want you to do? You need to do justice. This is why you need to get biblical justice right. Because there are many that want to shape your mind. What does Romans 12 say? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As the unrest is simmering, as the hatred is boiling over, think about the judgment, the hatred, the unrest that Christians are spewing on each other right this moment. It's grievous. You can ruin a lifetime of gospel ministry in a moment. What should you do? Do justice. What does that mean for a Christian? Love Jesus and love other people. Mother Teresa said, justice without love is not justice. Love without justice is not love. Dr. Cornell West said, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what, look, what love looks like in public. There's a lot of Christians right now in need of repentance for what they have done in public. A lot of Christians, we need freedom from falsehood. Think about the freedom that Jesus gives. The only freedom from any systemic sin, racism, brutality, gossip, slander, murder, hatred, is the transforming power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can dismiss that if you want. You can mock it to your own shame. But the only freedom from any systemic sin is the transforming power of the gospel. Do justice. You need to love mercy as well. We're graciously blessed to be generous with mercy. What you should be thinking right now in this moment is, how can I be a merciful reconciler, not a merciless canceler? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy. Mercy alleviates the misery sin brings. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Think about it. Are you feeling condemned in any area of your life by someone you know? I'm sure some of, all of us have some area we feel condemned. Think this thought. If they knew me as I really am, as God knows me, they would condemn me more. But we do live in cancel culture country, do we not? culture of fear of saying the wrong thing, being canceled then from a job or a friend group or even life. 
Samuel Say, a pastor from Ghana, says this, most people who want to cancel others advocate for and participate in worse sins. Many social justice advocates are pro-abortion advocates who murder their babies. Sinners don't have authority to cancel other sinners. Let him who is without sin among us be the first to throw a stone at others or the first to remove a statue of a sinner. He says social justice advocates today are the Pharisees of our generation, self-righteous hypocrites who condemn others for sinning differently and lesser than they do. And then he says this, cancel culture says some sinners' names should be blotted out of history books. But Christian culture, the gospel, says some sinners' names are inked by the blood of Jesus Christ in the book of life. Love mercy. What else should you do? You need to walk humbly with God. You need to walk humbly with God. Why? He's the judge. Capital J. He's the judge. By the way, walking with God is a scriptural metaphor for trusting and obeying the word of God, like, like Psalm 1. A lot of Christians just need to go back to Bible basics and relationships 101. I, I'm startled by the lack of discernment and abandonment of scripture that I am noticing in this moment from Christians. We've been trying, as we, as we search our own hearts, to help you navigate via preaching and, and via our Ordinary Church podcast, and any platform we get that God has granted. Uh, in this pandemic, a pandemonium, protest moment, there are very many wise calls to listen and learn and discuss. This is what we should be doing. But how many Christians are adopting the world's look-at-me, like-me, virtue-signaling moment where, hey, uh, if you're offended or don't agree with me, we aren't friends anymore. That stance is not biblical. You need healthy discourse in your life. A Christian should be the most open to talk about anything with anyone at any time because you have the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Why would you be threatened by other people's views? Gospel-changed Christians do social good. They treat people fairly as image-bearers. Let me... Let me let me ask you a question. Let me come to the Lord's table in a moment. Signifying Christ's death for our sins in our place at the cross. Are, are there any ways that you have treated anyone that you disagree with, that you need to confess and repent of? Admit it to God. Admit it to them. Make it right. Just turn from your sins. When you realize you know, how sinful you are, and, and you realize how merciful God has been to you in Christ, don't you see people with different eyes? Don't the judgment lenses just get thrown away? Aren't you more willing to forbear and even forgive and even say, I might be wrong? You're living in a time that is like devoid of mercy. There are calls for atonement right now with no concept of forgiveness. No chance of forgiveness. What's the remedy? The gospel. Christ's finished work. The cleansing blood. The saving grace of God. Repentance. Faith. Obedient alignment to God. Surrender to Christ. Because mankind is unjust. 
And God is just. He tells us, I'm going to bring everything into judgment. There will be a time for justice. There is not a moment for you to be proud about that, but to be humbled by that. God will make all things right. That moment when, as A.W. Tozier put it, everything will get its true price tag and true worth will come into its own. Solomon knew what he was talking about. Solomon was looking for a city with foundations. His architect and builder is God. Like Abraham before him, he was looking for a heavenly city. But think about you. Every one of us is suffering in some way in life. We live in the same world as everyone else. And God one day will right all wrong. But you might ask the question, why the delay then? It waits for the time when Eden will be restored, when the new heaven and new earth will come. And until that day, the gospel still goes out. Jesus suffered the ultimate injustice at the hands of the highest, most respected human court of that time so that we might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from the wrath of God against our sin. I mean, think about it, folks. The, the, the final outcome is not in question. Judgment belongs to God. As he says in Isaiah 1, you're going to be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her will repent and be walking in righteousness. In Revelation 19, there's this scene. Verse 11, heaven's opened. There's a white horse. And the one sitting on the white horse is called faithful and true. And it says, in righteousness he judges and makes war. See, justice is found in the gospel because Jesus made war on sin so that we could come to him. Mankind's sin had to be punished. Justice was satisfied at the cross. God pronounces not guilty on all who are in Christ, who call on his name. Justice says once your sin is paid for, case closed. When your sins are under the blood of Christ, God holds them against you no more. And, and God is not violating his justice by pardoning us who deserve justice. Salvation is the just consequence. God pronounced Jesus' death and resurrection sufficient to satisfy his wrath, and the curse that we justly deserved went on Christ. He took it on the cross. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to you. We would be reconciled to you. It is pure grace and mercy for which we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. So it's at this moment that you'd want to take this little cup out. And the first part is take that little clear part off the top. Peel that on back. I want to remind you of what we're doing here. We're doing it a little different than usual, but Jesus gave this to his church to remember him by. This is for the church. This is for believers. We're not one of those churches that says, oh, anyone and everyone can take the Lord's table because the Bible makes it really clear that whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of Christ. Unworthy means not according to its worth. Believers are to take the Lord's table. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you don't need to be a member of this church. 
You don't need to be an attender of this church. You need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. You need to be one of Christ's own. We come to the table today and we remember Christ's sacrifice in our place for our sin. This is where, this is where mercy and justice meet at this table. The justice due our sins went on Christ. He paid the penalty. The wrath of God went on him instead of on us. That's why it says when you come to faith in Christ, you're saved from the wrath of God by him. And Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he was going to the cross and he instituted this very simple table for his people. And he took bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. He broke the bread and he passed it out. And he said, he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. Like, eat this bread and remember what I have done. Every believer, do this in remembrance of Christ. carefully peel off that purple top and not get grape juice all over yourself. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's saying, you know, he's on, he's on the way to making all things new. He's reconciling all things to himself. For every believer, you're reconciled to God. Your sins are not being held against you. You're the freest of all people. Show mercy towards others. Jesus said, Drink of it all of you. Lord God, we thank you that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. We preach the gospel to our own hearts, knowing that we are so undeserving. We are we are so sinful. Thank you for the gospel truth, the grace of God in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, for this table. Thank you that we can actually remember you and, and then want to live our life to honor you until Jesus comes again or you take us to be with you, whichever comes first. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand with us as we sing in closing.
praise God we get to stay in this tent and worship. Everyone lost like five pounds during the service, so it's good, healthy for you. Make sure you hydrate. Make sure that you exit the tent going that way towards the playground. And please uh, exit the tent quickly so we can turn it around for third service. But you don't need to exit the property right away as long as you social distance, fellowship with one another and say hello and enjoy some company and uh, join us at the park at 1 p.m. if you dare. Okay, there is shade there though, so that's always good. So let me close with Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you.